How you guys doing? Good to see you guys in the building. Thank you. I appreciate that. I missed you guys last week. I wasn't here. But we have Pastor Curvin in the building bringing the word. He is our associate campus pastor for this location, and I'm so glad he got an opportunity to speak to you guys. Let me tell y'all what happened last week. So last week was October 31st. And my wife, Gabrielle, was actually supposed to be preaching that night. And we've been planning that for a little while. If you guys don't know, she is seven months pregnant. Um, And so, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the best timing. (laughs) But she preached pregnant before, and it was fine. Um, But on Tuesday morning at about 4.45 in the morning, she woke me up and was like, hey, I'm having contractions. And so the baby's not due until December 19th. So this was early. And so we called the doctor, and she was like, you need to go to the hospital. And you need to go to labor and delivery. So we're like, okay, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old sleeping in his bed. It's super early in the morning. We had to coordinate a bunch of stuff. And it was a little bit of a wild experience. She's okay. The baby's okay. She did not deliver early. Praise God. They had to take some measures to stop it. But here's why I'm sharing that. And I'm very grateful for our church family here who held us down. Pastor Curvin came in, held it down in the last minute, and a bunch of people got baptized. Come on. I think we're at 191 people this year who've gotten baptized on a Tuesday night here at Young Adults. To give some context, uh, last year, 2022, we baptized 57 people all year, which was huge. Now we're at 191. Do we have one more? We have one more. We're going to break 200. Just to kick the devil in the face with new life. And... um, and look, I knew that it was going to be a big night. And, you know, I, in case, you, you may not know, but I miss having Gabrielle here every Tuesday night. In this season of our life, um, you know, we're just, we're managing having a baby boy and figuring it all out. And she does a lot of work behind the scenes. But on Tuesday night, she's often home with our son. Can we say hello? I know she's watching right now. Hello. We're thankful for you holding it down. Um, but I was excited about us both being here that night, and I, but I knew, it's like I knew the night before that the enemy also knew what was going to take place because I knew that she was going to share a word that God had been putting on her heart for a while. I knew that it was Halloween night, and I knew that a lot of people were uh, about to get baptized. And so I knew that there would be some warfare going on. And so as soon as I put my son down to sleep, I had anointed that boy with oil, prayed over him. I'm for real. I went in the room. I, put, I said, hey, babe, ah, prayed over her because I knew that we had to be on the offense because we're doing kingdom work. And I don't know what you believe about the reality that we're in But I know, especially after doing this for a while, I know I'm not up here just saying stuff and we're in here just having a good time and we leave and nothing's really happening. No, there's a war going on for your soul. 
And, you know, 191 people being baptized is 191 people saying, I'm leaving the devil, sin, darkness, and every plan that the enemy had for me, and I'm raising to new life in Christ, and I am now going to live for him, and the byproduct of that is going to be other people hearing the gospel, seeing the transformation in my life. So I know that if one person gets saved, it can have a huge impact. I think about my own life and just the fact that me getting saved has now led to me being able to proclaim the gospel to hundreds of people on a regular basis. I know the enemy's not happy about that. And so I also know that there was a coordinated attack against my life early on to try to stop this from happening. Because in order to stop you from hearing the gospel, it's easier to just stop me from sharing it. You following? So now I know, especially after doing this for a while, doing ministry for a while, that it's, a, it's an actual war going on. And so I knew I had to be on the offensive, and we still ran into some warfare. And we still ran into some challenges. Now, praise God that he took care of us, and he's taking care of us. But I just wanted to share that so that you guys know. I think sometimes we need to be reminded what we have going on, that life is not a game, that what we're doing is not a game, and we're engaged in a fight. Are you guys thinking about that on a regular basis? I'm just wondering, because with a lot of the conversation that I see, a lot of how I see Christians on a large scale operating, I don't think the large majority of us really understand what we're doing. Because if, if we were really engaged in like the advancement of the kingdom of God, and in a spiritual battle, I think there's certain things we wouldn't have time for. I know for me, like I have to be proactive because I know that the stakes are high and what I do is serious. And I, I do truly believe that one of the reasons, and I don't share a lot of these things often because it can sound like I'm trying to brag about myself. I know that one of the reasons that God has me in a position of leadership is because what I'm willing to do behind the scenes. And I don't say that as a brag because I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to figure it out and I take it seriously. So it's not that I do everything perfectly because I always have room for growth. I'm, I feel like God is showing me a lot of things that I have room to grow in in this season, but like I'm looking at those things and paying attention to those things because I understand that the stakes are high. And I think about some of the seasons before stepping into ministry that led me even to some of this mindset. And, you know, a lot of you guys are new. Maybe you haven't heard a lot of like the stories, you know, from my life. But in the season, I've had several seasons in my life of doing different things. And, and right before I came on staff here, I was working at an MMA gym. You guys know what MMA is? Mixed martial arts, people fighting. And I had done kind of a brief stint in one form of martial arts a few years beforehand and started liking it. 
Then I got into boxing a few years later when actually somebody from Fusion invited me to a boxing class at their boxing gym, and I really enjoyed it, kind of started getting, getting into it. And I liked a few things about it. I liked the workout, but let me tell y'all what I actually honestly really liked about it. I like the idea of being dangerous. <laughs> Can I be real? That's why people learn how to fight. Because you like the idea of being able to handle yourself and being able to be dangerous if you need to be. And a lot of people, they don't look at me and think that I'm dangerous. <laughs> but, you know, you might find out. <laughs> now, I wouldn't compare myself to, like, professional fighters. Like, there's, a, there's like, a 1% of people on the planet who, like, do this as what they do in life. Fight people, combat, and... Compared to people who dedicate their whole life to it, they're going to smoke me. But compared to most people walking around, quite dangerous. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere with this. All right? It's not just a flex. I'm going somewhere with it. One of the things that I learned about doing martial arts, boxing, MMA, is... It's serious. When you're standing in front of somebody, they're trying to hurt you, and you're trying to hurt them. This is another reason why I didn't go into it like for real, for real, because it's like I'm not going to devote my life to trying to hurt people personally. You do, that's on you. But I've found a higher purpose in life. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but it's serious, and... Punches hurt, kicks hurt, elbows hurt. I remember getting, in, in, getting put in an arm bar one time from one of our coaches, and we were, I mean, it was supposed to be light. Like, we were just kind of light drilling, and he just, and my elbow was hurting for a long time. I was like, imagine if he was actually trying to hurt me. Like, that would have been really problematic. And you start to realize over a period of time that the stakes are kind of high in this. And so the way you approach training, if you're actually going to fight, is you take it seriously. Now, there are other classes in the gym. There's, there's different levels of classes in the gym. You have your regular kickboxing classes. They're like everybody does. They're on the bag, bop, 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 on the bag, and doing it for a workout doing it for fun. But then there was a class, there were a few classes at nighttime that you only came to, you weren't coming here to lose weight. You were coming here to learn how to fight. And I appreciated some of the clarity that we had in that venue because I see some lack of clarity when I come to church. That a lot of times, we're all here for different reasons. Like, why are you here tonight? Why are you watching online? Some of you, you may just be here checking it out, trying it out. I'm new. I just kind of want to see what's going on. Shout out. I'm glad. You're welcome. Some of you guys are on, on a search. You're like, man, I'm looking for something 
I've been looking for some type of spiritual experience, and I'm giving this a try. You're welcome. Some of you guys are like, I love Jesus. I'm here to worship, have a good time. I'm here to get fed. Somebody, come on. And then you have some people, some of you guys I know, who you've been struggling. You've been fighting, and you came because you're like, hey, I've been fighting. I've been going through some things. I've been navigating this Christian walk, and I need something. I'm not just here to kind of pop in and, you know, get a little snack. I'm not just here to find a mate. I'm here because I actually have some real things going on in life, and I need to be equipped. And my prayer is that, though that sounds kind of somber, and kind of dark and kind of serious, my prayer is actually that more of you would be here for that reason. Because what I'm finding in my life as I'm following Jesus is life is serious. Things are happening. Like we, we almost had a whole baby early. They were like, yeah, we don't think at this point the lungs are developed and all this stuff. And I'm like, this was not even on my radar of potentially happening. Like we didn't have the crib set up, nothing, because we just were not expecting this to happen. And yet, I felt pretty clear. We both felt pretty clear, like, this is the enemy. She's supposed to be preaching tonight. I think the enemy's trying to stop not only what, what God wanted to do through her, but also to throw off what God has planned for this child. And can I tell you, I understand that, like, nobody else is responsible for taking seriously what's happening in my house. Like, nobody's coming to save my house but Jesus. And sometimes we're walking through life. Like, there's somebody else going to fight our fight. And we may not be saying that, and we may not be really thinking that at the forefront of our mind, but the way that we're living is like that's going to happen, because if we're actually in a fight and we're not training like we're in a fight, then what are we expecting? And I take it seriously. Because I've, I've seen the severity of it in the, in the physical and in the natural and in the supernatural. I know what it feels like. And that's, I'm, I'm grateful for the exposure, for the experience to be able to know what fighting feels like in real life. Because I think about it a lot whenever I'm navigating ministry stuff. This Christian life as a whole. I, I know what it feels. Everybody likes the idea. Because every time you picture yourself fighting, you picture yourself winning. So a lot of times we like the idea of fighting. Like we watch the movies and we're the person knocking people out in our head. But it gets real when you run into some real opposition. Some, I, re, I, remember, I remember vividly my first time sparring in each discipline that I was a part of. 
And it was a humbling experience each time. I remember my first time sparring when I was boxing. And you know, when I'm shadow boxing, I feel like I'm nice. But when I actually got in the ring with somebody who knew what they were doing, they were hitting me. <laughs> and I didn't see the punches. I promise you. I don't know if my headgear was too, I, don't, I still don't know to this day. Because there will be times where it was like he was faking me, and then next thing I know, I get hit. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. And I realize I'm, I'm very unprepared for this. I remember when I was at the MMA gym, and none of them knew that I really did anything because I was just in there working out most of the time. And the first time that I was like, they were having a, a, a little sparring session, and I was like, yo, you know, Y'all mind if I jump in? And they're like, nah. Like, what do you know? I'm like, I know a little something. You know what I mean? I'm not too, too terrible. And I get in there. And with the first person, they really weren't expecting it. So I was bink, 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 like <laughs> kind of doing my thing. And then they put in the next guy who had like just gotten out of prison. <laughs> and he had more time practicing than me. And he humbled me. <laughs> and I remember in that moment, like, because I'm a pretty competitive person, like, I like winning. I remember, I remember driving home that night in silence. <laughs> in silence. And, and, and this is how my brain processes. I don't like, like, not being good at stuff. Right, and I'm very competitive, and so I really had to have a dis an internal discussion. Like, all right, what are we gonna do? Because part of me wants to wake up at four o'clock the next day and run seven miles for the next three years and not experience that again. I'm about to be the best. But then the other part of me is like, but, but why? Like, why? Where, what is this going to do for you? And so that part of me won. But I know what it feels like to be in a situation where you're fighting an opponent that is actually a threat to you. And what happens internally and the decisions that you have to make and the conversations that you have to have. And I feel like a lot of us as Christians are not stepping into that space. What happens is we run into an opponent that is a threat to us and we get mad at God. So bad things are happening to me. The enemy is attacking me and now I'm mad at God instead of mad at the enemy. And I'm saying, hey, God, why are you allowing this to happen? While God is saying, I told you things like this would happen. And I've offered you everything that you need to be able to fight. And so I want to ask the, the question tonight, who are you fighting? Are you fighting? Who are you fighting with? Because we're going to walk through some scriptures tonight that I think 
make it very clear that God is not adverse to battles. He's not averse to struggle, to war. Sometimes we don't like that aspect of God. But I think it's important that we, that we examine and we pay attention to every aspect of God that he's revealed to us. And war is something that's been happening from the beginning of the Bible. Satan, we talked about this. Satan really waged war on God when he went to Eve and, and invited and ushered sin into the world by getting them to rebel against God. And what happened? God killed an animal just to clothe them and cover them once they saw their nakedness. God got involved and shed blood. And from that moment, there's been a war taking place. And when we look at the end of the Bible, there's a war that ultimately settles everything. And you and I are involved in the midst of it. And so what I know is that you go through difficulties. I know that you go through struggles. I know that you've been going through all kinds of different stuff. I know that right now in this world that we live in, it's more challenging than ever to stand on truth because there's a war being waged against truth. Who are you fighting? How are you fighting? Who are you fighting with? Are you fighting because you're called to? You got baptized last week. Praise God. You're in a fight. You got baptized this year, last year, three years ago. Praise God. You're in a fight. And I don't know if we always make that clear to you. Because what we often communicate to you is that there's been a fight for your soul and Jesus has won. And that's true. And you receive the forgiveness of your sins and you're justified before God and you step into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And all of that is true. And you're seated in Christ and you've been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. All of that is true. But what is also true is there is an enemy that roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we see over and over and over throughout the New Testament that's addressing the church, telling us how to operate now that we are in this life with Christ. There's a constant message to be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Pay attention. Be on guard. Because not everything is chill. Things will be. God is going to reconcile all things, heal all things, make all things new at a certain point. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything's going to be perfect, and there's going to be complete peace at a certain point. But right now, you are engaged in something serious. And I know that this isn't what everybody wants to hear tonight. And I wrestled a little bit because I don't actually feel like everybody's going to receive this well tonight. But I know that some people really need to hear this tonight. And there are going to be some people who really respond to this tonight, that something wakes up on the inside of you and you realize, oh, wow, this is what's been going on. And I'm actually built for this. Just I haven't been thinking about this and nobody's been telling me this. And so that's who I'm praying is spoken to tonight. I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lead us guide us, 
equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says this, The Philistines again waged war against Israel. David went down with his soldiers, and they fought the Philistines, but David became exhausted. Then Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giant, whose bronze spear weighed about eight pounds and who wore new armor, intended to kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to his aid, struck the Philistine, and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you must never again go out with us to battle. You must not extinguish the lamp of Israel. I was reading this passage, honestly, the first time I read this passage was years ago. And we're going to read the rest of it later. But it's outlining and it's chronicling sometimes when David and his army encountered giants. How many of you guys have heard of David and Goliath? We know many of us about David fighting a giant. We know about David fighting Goliath. We know about David defeating Goliath. But oftentimes, we don't ever talk about anybody else fighting a giant. But this passage chronicles several people fighting giants after David fought a giant. And what it initially made me think of was, wow, when Israel was being taunted by Goliath, nobody would go out and fight him. And then David shows up and David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare defy the armies of the living God? I'll go out and fight him. And oftentimes it's pitched as a story about a little shepherd boy who has no training and and he's weak and and God just comes through because he uses a little slingshot and pings Goliath in the head and then Goliath dies and then David cuts off his head. What's happening here? That's not actually exactly what was happening. David wasn't using a slingshot. He was using an ancient sling, which was actually a weapon of war. And what we see in the passage in the chapter before is that David was actually considered a man of war, well-trained in war. He actually was not somebody who was inexperienced. He was somebody who had been training. And he showed up to a moment where his faith met with his preparation. And so he didn't show up not having done anything before. He didn't show up not having fought anybody before which is what we often look at as the story of David and Goliath, that I'm just going to show up like David and I'm going to defeat my Goliath with my faith. And the truth is David did not just defeat Goliath with faith. He slung a stone at him because he knew how to. And Goliath came prepared to fight with his hands and fight close up. And David came prepared not to even have to go close to him. And to kill him with an ancient, deadly weapon. And I was actually looking into it, and some people believe that the, between the, the density of the stones in the Valley of Elah where they were fighting and the power of the sling, that it was like getting hit with a 45 caliber bullet. That's why it killed Goliath. So David shows up well-prepared, well-trained, and then kills Goliath. 
But what I found fascinating about this was, wow, nobody would do it until David did it, and then people were willing to go fight giants because they had seen it done before. How much, more, how much might God want to do through your step of faith, through your preparation, through your stepping into an opportunity with your preparation and your faith, how much might God want to do through that? You don't know that the battles that you're sometimes facing are practice for the real war. And you don't know how you show up in a battle might be the inspiration somebody else needs to show up in theirs. And oftentimes, we're mad at God that things are happening to us. The Israelites could be mad at God that there's this giant in their way. God, why is this happening? Why have you sent this giant human being that none of us can fight? This is too much. Until somebody who had actually been walking through the process that God was taking them through showed up and who actually had a relationship with God and believed that between the work of his hands and the skill set that he had and the faith that he had, knowing that this person stood no chance against the chosen army of God, he showed up ready. So that was my initial insight. But then I started seeing that what's happening here is, is not just David fought at one point and, and then other people had the, the faith to. Um, I think there's, there's potentially an element of that. But even simpler than that, David was not the only person prepared to fight a giant. And he had people with him who were also prepared to engage in war and win. And David was in battle and ran into the point of exhaustion, which happens when you're fighting. No person's body is just limitless when it comes to energy. Everybody gets tired at a certain point. And what you do when you get tired matters a whole lot. Because if you're tired and the other person isn't, you're in a lot of trouble. And this is what David ran into. He's exhausted. He has nothing left in him. But praise God that there was somebody else who was not afraid and who was actually prepared to fight the enemy that was coming against him. And it made me think that who you're fighting with matters. And it made me think, man, how many of us are fighting giants alone? How many of us are fighting all of our battles alone because that's just how society is set up? And that's oftentimes how our church is set up, that we'll show up together, but we won't go out together. And we'll come and we'll listen together, but we don't go and fight together. And we'll come and we'll get prayed for together, but we won't go and pray together. And that is a problem when you're in a real war. And I just know that what's going to actually unfold over time and in the future is that things are not going to get easier. But I believe that the church is going to get stronger. And by the church, I mean you. You, if you're willing, if you want to. But nobody's going to train you for you. 
Nobody's going to discipline you for you. Nobody's going to obey God for you. Nobody's going to do the things that are necessary for you. But what I can tell you is the enemy is going to attack you. The kingdom of darkness is is going to come for you. But Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. This is after the disciples had come back from casting out demons. And they're like, oh my gosh, even the demons submit to us in your name. These supernatural beings that are possessing people and tormenting people, oppressing people, riddling them with anxiety, riddling them with depression, riddling them with sickness. We can speak to them in your name and they leave. Oh my gosh. And Jesus says, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, behold means look, observe, look, look at what's happening. Behold, I've given you authority to trample on them, not to shrink back from them, to trample on them. But nobody's going to move your feet for you. You have to go do it. And you have to be aware of what's in your hands. Jesus expected the church to run into conflict. He expected you to run into enemies. He expected you to run into war. How do I know this? Matthew 16, 18 says this. I say to you that you are Peter. This is Jesus talking to Peter. And on this rock, Peter meant rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. What is implied in that statement is that there's a struggle, that the gates of hell would try to overpower the church but won't be able to. There is, there is an anticipated conflict. Jesus is expecting that the enemy is going to try to overpower his church, but he won't be able to. That the church is going to be victorious. The end is already determined, but the church still has to engage in the battle. And I would say that many of us aren't often considering the fact that we're expected to be warriors. That we're expected to be fighting. That might be a a foreign concept for you, but I, I think it's a concept that you might want to be really familiar with because Jesus expects you to be engaged in war and engaged in a fight, fully confident in what you've been equipped with, fully confident in the fact that ultimately your general has determined victory, but engaged and equipped. And there was this quote it's actually from a, from a martial arts book that, I, that I've just always found very interesting. Miyamoto Musashi said this, It is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. It is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. It's better to be dangerous in a place where you don't need to be dangerous than be in a dangerous place and not able to be dangerous. 
It's better to be equipped and able to fight and not need to than need to fight and not be able to. And I feel like what we are experiencing through much of the church right now is gardeners in a war. We want to tend to everything except the battle we're facing. And we want to grow all types of stuff and cultivate all types of stuff except for the war that's going on. This impacts how you live, how you would oversee a family, who you choose as a spouse. I'm convinced that some of the things that we are casual about, that we're debating about, are because we don't really feel like we're in a war. And so we have these conversations, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Is it really that big of a deal? And, and here's, here's what I found. When you are training for a fight, compromises are on you. And they're not going to make anybody suffer but you. And so you can be training for a fight, and you can be saying, well, well, I should be able to eat this. Is it really that big of a Is it bad for me to eat this? No, unless you want to win. And then if you slack off throughout your training process and you get beat up, whose fault is that? Who is there to blame? Who's there to be mad at? And I've just found that for myself, I want to win the war that I'm in. And so I don't feel like I have time to be having all the is it okay for Christians to conversations because I'm actually trying to win. Is this going to help us win? Are we going somewhere? I'm convinced that much of our generation in the church doesn't really feel like we're going anywhere. We feel like we're just going to like be Christians and live our life. And God's just going to bless everything that we do. And we're not really going to have any problems. But that's not what he says. He recruits disciples and then sends them out and calls them apostles. Anybody know what the term apostle means? It's a military term. It was apostolos. It was a Greek military term. It was not a Christian term. It was a fighting term. It was military units that were sent in to take over territory. And so he recruited, trained disciples, sent them out and called them apostles, then sent them out to take territory for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, John says about Jesus that he was, that he was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to wage war on the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy everything that the enemy had set up. Jesus came to wage war against the one who had waged war against us. And many of us don't engage in the war. But I believe that's going to change. Jesus says this in Revelations 3, 21 through 22, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches. I believe that Jesus is saying here clearly that he expects you to have a conflict and win. He expects you to be in conflict for your whole life. 
and conquer because he's with you. Do you believe that? All right. So how do we conquer? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, and I want to set this up real quick. Paul's talking to the Corinthians because they had this idea about Paul that he didn't carry himself in a very strong way. And so they were actually like calling him weak. They're like, yeah, you be talking all tough in your little letters, but when you show up, you're not all that bold. This is really what he's addressing. They're like, yeah, you talk like all this tough stuff when you're writing to us, and then you show up and you're like all humble and meek, and we don't feel like you're like all that powerful. And Paul addresses it saying, yeah, um, my idea of power is not about personality. My idea of power is not about being loud. They felt like because he wasn't being loud that he didn't have anything to say. That because he didn't show up commanding attention that he didn't have anything to offer. That because he didn't show up confrontational that he was afraid of a conflict. And what he says here is this. For although we live in the flesh, meaning I live in a body, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul is essentially saying he's not concerned with appearing to be dangerous in the flesh because he knows he's dangerous in the spirit. And that he's not here to wage war against human beings because they're not his real enemies. He knows that what he has is powerful for destroying what is behind the attacks of human beings. He says, the weapons of my warfare are not of the flesh. I'm not going to throw hands with you because what's that going to do? The weapons of my warfare are powerful for demolishing strongholds. That's like a military fortress. And what it's really referring to is is mental structures, ways of thinking. This is why he says to demolish arguments. And this is why it's so important that we understand the warfare that we're a part of. And and here's what I believe he's saying is, is how to fight the right way. And the first thing is you fight the right enemies. Paul was not concerned with being loud, with being heard. He wasn't concerned with coming off strong, coming off any type of way, because he knew that that didn't mean anything. He was concerned with fighting the right enemy. And what he really said is, who I'm fighting, what I'm fighting against is lies. That's what's really waging war against humanity is lies. Lies that God doesn't love you. Lies that God's plan is not good for you. Lies that God's plan doesn't work. That's what's waging war against you. And he knew that the weapons that he had, hands are not going to fight lies. Swords don't fight lies. Truth fights lies. Revelation from God fights lies. Prayer moves the supernatural pendulum. And so you need to fight the right enemy. And 
I would say how you live is a reflection of the battle you're fighting. Because there's no other way to fight it. It's, it's the decisions you're making. It's the commitment you have to Christ on the inside. It's the response to the conviction that he gives you. It's the desire to be obedient, the desire for him to lead you. It's all happening internally, and that's how you wage war against lies is internally. And then externally, you still obey Christ. You wage war against the lie that the world tells you that you have to fend for yourself by serving the lie that life is all about you and you just have to look out for you and nobody else matters, that's a lie. That's not how God operates. God says, I myself came to serve and to lay down my life and that's what I expect for everybody who's following me. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father and was willing to serve and that was an outright defiant act of war against the lies of the enemy that are trying to tell us how to operate in rebellion against God, and away from the character of God. He was willing to serve. We are generous as an act of war, willing to give to the kingdom of God, willing to be sacrificial, willing to help other people as an act of war against the lie that life is all about me, that I have to just store for myself everything. Jesus tells a really clear parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And it's somebody who had succeeded in what they were doing, and they had gotten all this grain, all this wheat, which was the wealth of the day, the production of their crops. And he said, I got all that I need. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm just going to store it up, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you, and then who's going to get what you've stored up? You've bought into the lie that you can actually hold on to what you've produced. You've bought into the lie that you're actually able to sustain yourself. And so what we do is we obey God as an act of war against that lie. Amen? You fight the right enemy. Number two is you fight with the right weaponry. He said, my, my weapons are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. It's nothing that you would even necessarily see on the outside. It's what I'm willing to do behind the scenes. It's, it's how I'm willing to engage. It's the fact that I'm willing to pray, know the word of God. I'm willing to stand on the truth. I'm willing to walk in the authority that Jesus has given me. That's how I'm fighting against the devil. And that's still how Christians, followers of Jesus, are supposed to operate to this day. We fight with the right weaponry. Jesus didn't throw hands with anybody as much as we may have wanted to if we were him. But Jesus had all power in his hand, all ability. He said, I could call legions of angels to wage war right now if I wanted to. When he was in the garden and the, and the Roman soldiers came to capture him and they they, asked, they, didn't even, they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know exactly who they were looking for. They said they were looking for Jesus. They asked if it was him. He said, I am, and they fell to the ground. To me, I probably would have left at that point and not followed through with the arrest. If you say I am and I fall to the ground from you speaking, it's kind of a sign that you're probably not who I should be waging war against. But that's what we see take place that Jesus had all power. 
and was willing to lay his life down as an act of war against the devil. The Bible tells us in Colossians, it says that he triumphed over the devil in broad daylight, made a fool of all the powers of darkness on the cross because all of our sin, all of our debts were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Everything that we needed to be forgiven before God and to be in relationship with God and to be able to be restored to our purpose was accomplished right there. He waged war differently. He spent his days in prayer with the Father and then serving people. That's the life he lived. And as as much as people want to paint another picture of the gospel, there's no other picture of the gospel. Jesus loved God, the Father, with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, and loved his neighbor as himself. And that's what he says we do to fulfill all the commands of God. And we watch him model it, and that's waging war in a different way. And that's fighting with the right weaponry. We have to stop arguing with each other all the time. We have to stop trying to be on the moral high ground against all the other Christians And we have to stop debating about meaningless things. Jesus says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The, The enemy, the kingdom of darkness is very united. They're all working together to kill you. And then you're fighting against your co soldiers. We judge each other, we criticize each other. And it's often how the enemy is waging war in our hearts. And we're all subject to it. I have to fight against it every day. People get on my nerves too. (laughs) But we have to fight with the right weaponry against the right enemy. And here's the last thing. You do not fight alone. You don't fight alone. David was a giant killer. We know that. But David ran into a situation where a giant was about to kill him. And praise God, he had the right person around him. And then after that, we see several things happen. In verse 18, it says, After this, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sibachai the Hushethite killed Saph, who was a descendant of the giant. Once again, there was a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, son of that name, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath of Gath. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. At Gath, there was still another battle. A huge man was there with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He, too, was descended from the giant. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimei, killed him. These four were descended from the giant in Gath and were killed by David and his soldiers. And they did not fight alone. I believe that we could be a church full of giant killers. I I believe that. I believe that we could actually take ground for the kingdom of God. I believe that if we understood what was in our hands, that if we pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ and we are found in him, that he will give us what we've asked for. I believe that we could change our homes 
We could change our communities. I believe you can change a nation with God. I believe you can change a generation with God. I believe that God wants to change a generation through us. I believe he wants to change your bloodline through you if you will engage. I know that David was grateful to have somebody who was willing to pick up a sword and go fight with him on behalf of him and not let him get taken down. I believe we need a church like that. We need people we can call and have more than just a, I messed up again, conversation. Man, can we pray? Can we call heaven down? We need to be engaged. So I want to close here. Ephesians 6, chapter 10. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I want to read this. I want the band to come out. And I actually want you guys to to stand to your feet as, as I read this. Paul explains a lot to the church in Ephesus about who God is, about what he's done for them, about the things that they need to do, the things that they're going to face. And this is how he chooses to conclude. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. This is a call to war. This is a call to war. Paul is saying, finally, understand who your enemy is and understand what you're able to do. You can put on the armor of God. The truth is like a belt around your waist. Righteousness will guard your heart. The helmet of salvation, salvation will guard your mind. Faith is like a shield that will quench everything the enemy throws at you. Keep your feet ready, ready to share the gospel of peace. And you better understand that the word of God is an offensive weapon. The word of God is like a sword in the spirit. And many times we're being beaten down by enemies that should have no power over us. So many of us, we're being beaten down by depression. And depression wants to convince a generation that it has power over you. Anxiety wants to convince you that it has power over you, but it doesn't. 
It will fall. It will fall to a person who shows up understanding how to fight. Goliath sat in the valley of Elah taunting an entire army and nobody realized they could kill him. I feel like that's what's happening in a generation. Anxiety and depression, lust, all of it is standing over a generation taunting us, saying that it has power over us, saying that it's your depression, it's your anxiety, you can't do anything about it. And I just believe that in the same way that God gave one shepherd boy a revelation that you could go down there and sling a stone at this guy and he will fall to the ground. In the same way, I believe that God wants to put his word in the hands of you, in the hands of a generation to say, we have a weapon. We have a weapon. The word of God tells me that his peace will guard my heart and guard my mind in Christ. Do you know what it's like to be guarded? Do you think that God is saying that that he's a guard that can be beaten? His peace is a guard that nobody can get past. We don't need a bodyguard that can get beat up. And that's not who he's saying he is. He has peace that will guard your heart. And when the enemy tries to riddle you with anxiety, his peace will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. He will stand guard on behalf of you. But here's what he says right beforehand. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in all things, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so sometimes we don't have peace because we don't do prayer. And we don't have peace because we won't present what's making us anxious. And God is saying, no, I'm telling you, if you will vocalize this to me, if you will say, hey, it's, it's okay. I'm afraid of this, God. Oh, I can present a request. Lord, I pray that you would handle this for me. Do you you know how much anxiousness I could have felt on the way to the hospital when when we were in that hospital room and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen? But can I tell you that over time, my training has taught me that fear will not move the hand of God. Faith will move the hand of God. Being scared in my head won't do anything to the enemy. But me praying out of my mouth will send the enemy to flee. And being afraid in my mind has never healed anybody, but me speaking out of my mouth has. This is what Paul is saying when he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they are mighty. They're powerful if you will use them. And so I said earlier that I didn't know if this was going to resonate with everybody and, and, and if everybody was necessarily going to grab a hold of this. But I, I felt to do something a little special tonight. And it's not special in the sense that it's completely different than anything that we've done, but it's special in the sense of what I believe God wants to do. And so what I want to do is if you are in a space that you genuinely feel like, This is for me, and I am going to step in 
I'm going to engage in the war that has been waged against me, waged against my family, waged against my generation. I believe that Jesus actually does have victory. I believe the truth. I want you to come down to this altar. I want you to come down to the front right now. And I want to pray. And you don't have to force it. And I don't want this to be uh, an emotional move. I want this to be a, a response to what's taking place spiritually. I, I don't want this to be a, yeah, you can, you can fill, you guys can fill in. I, I mean this. I don't, I don't want this to be just something where we got riled up for a moment. But I do believe that, that God did want to rile us up a little bit. I, I do believe that, that God wanted to stir some passion and some zeal. You guys can still continue to fill in. I want you guys to look around. Look around. I know I could be a little awkward. Look around. You by yourself are powerful in God. You're powerful in Christ. You with all these people are really powerful in Christ. I want, you, I, want you guys, I want you guys to hear me. What can happen in our city if this many people are engaged in the war? The enemy is trying to destroy the identity of a generation. The enemy is trying to keep us in, in bondage. He's trying to keep you in bondage to sin, to shame, to poverty, to lack, everything that God doesn't want for you, the enemy wants for you and wants for a generation and wants a generation to believe that he's more powerful than God. But can I tell you that my God has always done a mighty work through a small group of people, that my God has never needed a whole lot, that my God has never needed really more than what we see here. And so I want to pray a couple prayers. And the, and the first one is a prayer of repentance. If that's you, if you're saying, hey, I hear the call, I'm responding tonight, but I need to start with repentance, a turning away from how I've been doing life, a turning away from how I've been thinking, a turning away from my perspective on sin on righteousness, on what life is even about. I need to change direction. If that's you, I just want to know. I just want you to boldly lift your hand. I want to know who I'm talking to. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Look. I want to pray with you. Father, I thank you for every hand that's up right now. Ah, oh, Lord, you said that no one can come to you unless the Father draws them. This is the work of your Holy Spirit moving in your people, calling us to repent. Jesus, your first message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn, 
change your mind, change your outlook, change your thinking. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your blood that was shed on a cross to pay the price for our sins. Lord, you've nailed our debt to a cross. Lord, I thank you that for every hand that was raised, Lord, you have already paid the price for them to be completely forgiven, completely washed clean, completely restored. If that's you, I just want you to tell Jesus you received that right now. Jesus, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your new life. Invite him to wash you clean, just personally. Jesus, wash me clean. Would you wash my mind? Would you wash and cleanse the way that I think, the way that I've been operating? Lord, would you help me to change? Lord, would you change me from the inside out? Lord, I receive who you are and I receive your spirit. Lord, I just pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit right now for each person who has turned and given their life to you. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit right now because it is your spirit that changes us, God. I pray that you would show them the way. You are the way. Show them yourself by your spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this place right now. I believe destinies are changing right now. I believe family lines are changing right now. Changing tonight. So I pray to a prayer of repentance. Here's, here's the next thing that I want to pray for. When it comes to engaging in this battle, we need people who are willing to do the work of the ministry. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself has given gifts to the church and given people to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God has saved you so he can send you. God has saved you and filled you with everything that you need so that he can send you. And if you feel called, I'm not even going to, to qualify this and make it super specific. If you feel called to do ministry, I want you to lift your hand in the air. Called to it. Called to it. If you say, I know there's a calling on my life. God has been calling me. I want you to lift, I want you to lift your hand high in the air. Look at all these hands. Call to do the work of the ministry. Father, I thank you for every hand that's lifted right now, Lord. And I just pray that you would pour out your spirit fresh on every lifted hand right now, God. Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your power, God. An outpouring of your spirit of wisdom. Lord, your spirit of revelation, God. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They are of the spirit of God. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out spiritual equipping, spiritual weapons, God. I pray for spiritual understanding. Lord, I pray that people would have new levels of discernment, new levels of understanding of your word, new levels of power in the way that they speak, new levels of power in the way that they think and process. 
God, I think throughout the Old Testament, Lord, how you bless the minds of people, Lord, that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, God, that they had a level of understanding that was just above their contemporaries, God. And Lord, I pray for that same spirit to rest on your children right now, God. Lord, that they would be a generation of people who can lead with wisdom. Lord, I pray that their wisdom will stand out among their peers. Their wisdom will stand out among a generation. Lord, the wisdom in their words will stand out in conversation, on social media, at their jobs. And God, I pray that you would continue to elevate them to places of leadership as they are submitted to your leadership. God, I pray for a spirit of holiness over your people, a desire for holiness to be consecrated, to be set apart. Lord, I pray that there would just be a desire for you, a willingness to turn away from the things of this world, Lord, and completely turn to you. Lord, we know what you can do with a consecrated life, a life that is set apart, dedicated to you. Lord, somebody who's willing to say, it's okay that I don't do what everybody else does. It's okay that I don't speak like they speak, think like they think. I don't listen to what they listen to. I don't watch what they watch because I'm trying to fight a fight they're not fighting. And I'm trying to win a war they're not winning. God, I thank you for a people who are filled with peace. 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 If you feel like you have a real battle with anxiety and with depression, I want you to lift your hand in the air. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, the Royal One of Peace. Lord God, you are marked by peace. You do not have an anxious presence, God. You have a calming presence, Lord. It is the presence of the evil one that brings anxiousness. It is the presence of the evil one that brings fear. It is the presence of the evil one that makes us feel oppressed and depressed. But you are a God who lifts us up. God, you do not depress us, Lord. You lift us up. You exalt us, Lord, when we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And so, Lord, I pray for a fresh revelation over each and every one of your children who has their hand lifted right now, God, who has been attacked by the enemy. Lord, attacked by lies, attacked by fear, attacked by irrational fear, fear of what might happen because they're expecting something to happen that does not involve you. And so, Lord, I pray that they would be able to look to the future as if you're in the future, as if you hold the future, as if there's no reason to be anxious because you're with them and you cover them and you'll be with them and you make them to lie down in green pastures and you lead them beside still waters and you refresh their soul. God, I pray that they would find a well to drink from, Lord, a real living well, God. You told the Samaritan woman, Lord, that whoever drank the water from your well would never thirst again. Lord, it is to be at peace to never thirst again. I come against every attack against them and I plead and declare the power of the blood of Jesus over them. That's what it means to plead the blood of Jesus. I am pleading and declaring the power of the blood of Jesus. 
The blood of Jesus has triumphed over the enemy. He has no access to you. Your future is secure. Your future is secure. Your future is secure. I want you to say that over yourself right now. My future is secure. My future is secure. My future is secure because my future is in the hands of God. My family is secure because my family is in the hands of God. My mind is secure because my mind is in the hands of God. I want you guys to understand what's taking place right now. God came to do business with many of you guys tonight. I don't know what kind of day you had. I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know what you've been going through, but God himself showed up here to speak to you in your life, to call you to change, to call you to turn to him, to call you to fully give your life to him, to call you to ministry, to good works. He says that he's prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. And I believe the enemy has just deceived so many of us. He's just talked us out of walking in the calling of God. He's not stopping you from walking in your calling. He's just convincing you to not move your feet. He can't stop you. The enemy has nothing to give you but lies. This is why Paul says, I demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's my mighty weapon. I cast down the lies of the enemy, the lies that say God doesn't have a good future for me, the lies that say God doesn't love me, the lies that say I have something to fear, God's not gonna take care of me, God hasn't gifted me, God hasn't called me, those are all lies. And when you learn to demolish those in your mind by speaking the truth of God over it, you become a mighty warrior for the kingdom. And you're able to demolish arguments that are coming against people around you there are people who need to be able to share what they have going on with you, but you need to be able to deal with what you have going on in yourself so that you can help them. That's what God's trying to do tonight. You have everything that you need. You have everything that you need. You can wake up tomorrow morning knowing you are engaged in a war that you are already set to win, but you have to fight. And you don't fight from a place of anxiousness. You fight from a place of peace. Isn't that amazing? You wage war from a place of peace. That's how Jesus does it. He's not anxious about the enemy. He's coming to destroy the enemy from a place of peace because he knows the enemy can't do anything to him. And you are in him. You are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Who can come against you? Who can touch you? Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not angel, not demon. No circumstance can separate you from the love of God because you're in Christ. In Christ. Live like you're in Christ. Speak like you're in Christ. Pray like you're in Christ. Open up and treasure the word of God like you're in Christ, who calls himself the living word. He is the word of God. John says, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus, and then the word was made flesh. 
Open up the word, treasure the word of God like you are in Christ and like it is truly your offensive weapon. I want us to step into a a moment of worship just to seal this thing. God has spoken some things over you tonight that you don't need to just walk out of this moment with. God has secured some things in you. I just believe there's been a firming up of some foundations tonight. Some people watching online, God has just been firming up some foundations. Some things that were shaky, some things that were unstable just got firmed up. I believe he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. Can we start before the band starts, before the vocalists start? Can we lift our hands and praise God? Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We glorify you, God. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, Lord God. Let's worship. 